You're listening to the AG Lockhart Podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Matt Burton. Well, God bless you in all your searching in this season. And may, like the wise man who came from afar, we find the baby Christ Jesus who grew into a man and our Savior. May we find him and may he enter our hearts. We are excited about the service next week. It will be the, the one that we put, um, well, I got to be careful how I say that. I was going to say that we put our effort into, but we do that every week. It will be the one that you might want to take advantage of to invite someone who normally doesn't come to church. Our teams have been working. We will present to the Lord a Christmas service to thank him for what he's done, to celebrate the birth of his son, and also to be a blessing to those who come in attendance to experience God's presence. So come next weekend, if you're here, invite somebody and bring them, share the Christmas message with them. Also on Christmas Day, the 25th, we'll have a very short service. I'm saying 10.15 to 11.15, it may be shorter than that. If you're in town, if you want to come, the church will be open. If you want to have a Christmas holiday at home on Christmas Day, around gifts and family and loved ones, then do that. We won't be taking names, we won't be uh, giving you extra detention for not being here on Christmas Day. But if you want to be in church on Christmas Day, it doesn't always happen on a Sunday, then we'll be here. We'll read the Christmas story, we'll sing a few carols, we'll thank God, and then we'll go back to our home and our people. Or we'll bring them with us and then take them back home. So that'll be our schedule. And then after the 14th, as Craig said, we won't have any Wednesday services until the new year so that you can be with family and loved ones and traveling, and so that our teams can enjoy a little time off, well-earned, and enjoy that with family. It's great to see you today. The Lord loves you. He has plans for you. He's working for those plans. Some of those plans involve another person, and then after you meet that other person, then other persons come along. Today, we're going to have a child dedication I know of one family that will be coming, but if you arrived here today and you have your children and you didn't know we were going to dedicate children to the Lord and you want to join this service on this day because you just happened to be here, I would say it wasn't happenstance but more providence, then I want you to think for a minute and, and decide. Maybe you want to just come up when I call this family and you want to bring your child up and dedicate them to the Lord. But child dedication, what is it? Well, we believe in Ezekiel, the Lord says that every person born has to deal with God on their own or from their own response, that we can't get to heaven by what our grandmother did for us, although she can sure help put us in a great position, can't she? We can't blame our grandmother or anyone else for the positions we find ourselves in, as the people of God had sometimes done, blaming others for what they were suffering. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to listen to that. And Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to deal with a person how they deal with me. It's up to that individual. He's the God of the whole world, but he so loved the world, he gave his only son. But had you been the only one in the world, that would have been enough for him. He deals with the individual. So we believe that people grow, they become aware of God, and they decide if they want to follow him through his son the way, the truth, and the life. And they make a decision. A person makes a decision to put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible calls it being born again. We call it sometimes converted. 
We call it being brought and adopted into the family of God, married to Christ. There's a lot of analogies and metaphors for it. But when we dedicate a child, what we do is as parents and as a church family, we commit to raising that child in a godly way. We commit before the Lord that our child belongs to God and the best we can, we're going to raise them. And we're doing that all the while trembling and trusting that God will help us in all the ways that we as parents will come up short because God is the Father. It says in the Bible, when God, in Deuteronomy, when Moses is encouraging the people of God to stay close to the commands of God because obedience to God is equal to love to God. We obey Him because we love Him. He says these words, Fix these words of mine in your hearts. Fix these words of mine into your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. He sounds serious. Teach them to your children. Talk about my words with your children when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your home and your houses and on your gates so that in the days and the days of your children, there may be many in the land of the Lord. So that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord has sworn to your ancestors. God's made promises to his people. We arrive at those promises by following his word. It's as if his word was a map, the way. As we follow the word, we progress through life and we get to where God is leading us. And God is telling his people, not just you, but you train up your children in that way. So in this child dedication service, those who would come would say, we commit our child to the Lord. We ask for the Lord's help in raising our child in a godly way. We commit to teaching the word and being involved in a community of believers and living, not just hearing the word, but doing what it says. And that would be a child dedication service. And we're going to have one. So I'm going to invite those who would want to come. I know Jeff and Kristen are coming, but if you're here and you want to bring your child, then you come ahead. If you'd rather wait and talk to me about that, we'll do another service when you're ready. Okay. She said she's going to go get hers. Amen. And there's a mom in this building today that your child has grown and is an adult and feels is far from the Lord. And right now in prayer, just as this woman went to get her child, I pray that you would be praying for your child who's far from the Lord to bring them back to the Lord today. Even that this service would be symbolic of what your dedication to the Lord might do in the life of your child. Let me go get mine. Let's go get ours. So while we're waiting on her, let's pray for those. Lord, we thank you. You're the good father that even welcomes the prodigal home after they've wasted everything. You come with open arms, a new robe, and a ring. And we prophesy the return of many, the hearts turning back to their fathers and their fathers to their children, many returning to the word of the Lord. You said you would send the one before your son, and he would prepare the way. And we thank you, Father, that even now, through our prayers and through the work of the cross, that many hearts are being prepared. This is the season that many will find themselves walking that road back home to the Father. We believe it because your word declares it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we go. I'm going to need help with names.
Even if my children were up here, I'd probably be asking you for help with their names. This is Jeff and Kristen. This is their daughter, Eleanor. Yes, ma'am. I will have you out of here by lunch. I knew what she was saying. This is their son, Jefferson. May the Lord bless you. All right. JR, remind me. Derek. This is Derek. What's up, Derek? How are you? Well, your hair looks good, and I'm not jealous. All right. Tell me all the names. Annika, Leah, Leah, and Jeremy. Church, as family, to these families, we are also committing that we would pray, that we would live a life that might be an example, that one of these dads or moms might be able to say, watch that lady, watch that man. That we might so live that our light would shine that many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We are saying to these families that we will commit ourselves to them also. To give that there might be children's church and a nursery and pastors over there teaching. To give that there might be Christmas presentations and costumes for them to wear and Bibles to hand out to them. That we might give our time and our prayers. And parents, you stand before your church today and you say that you're committing with God's help to raise them in the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God and the best that God would help you, give you grace, I'm pulling grace, to live a life submitted and yielded to Christ. And in so doing, the Lord promises that he will give you what you need to do it. Oh, praise the Lord for these children. If you are family of these, would you come stand with them? If you're a friend and their family's not present, would you come stand with them? And then I'm going to ask the rest of the church to stand and we're going to pray as we dedicate these children to the Lord. Nothing we do for the Lord is in vain. Nothing's too small. Nothing's meaningless. Nothing doesn't count because Eleanor is only 18. How tall is she? 22 feet. All right. The Lord said, I will redeem the world, and he started with a baby being born. And in the name of Jesus, we know and believe that we are the hands and feet of Christ. We are Christians, little Christ, and these children today have been ordained by God. He knows the plans he has for them. They will be the voice that speaks the word of God to people that they might know that there's a risen Savior. They may look small, but they have a kingdom to gain. And the Lord has used, used even the praise of infants to defeat and to confound his enemies. So let's pray. Father, for these moms and these dads, we ask you for grace upon grace. To know your word, for revelation, for wisdom. We ask you, Father, for help and strength, for courage. For even when they feel like they're the only parents in the world standing for righteousness, that they would stand boldly. And Lord, when they're on their knees, the mighty angels of God would be in their home, supporting them, strengthening them, protecting them. We ask you, Lord, to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray for these children that they would live every dream you have dreamed for them, 
that nothing would be stolen from them, that you would protect them, that though the world is dark, the light shines in it and does not overcome it, and your word will be a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. Lord, we pray for the people that they are going to impact, to touch those who would impact and touch their lives. We ask you for the plans of the Lord over them and that none would fall short of what you will. We ask for your will to be done and your kingdom to come in these children and these families. And we ask it in Jesus' name. We dedicate these children to you and we believe and have faith that you will give these parents courage and strength. And as a church family, we commit to run this race with them. Would you help us in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, just smile at them, clap for them, bless them. Take a picture. Oh, I was worried about me today. I didn't know what side of the bed I woke up under. I was praying, Lord, let a message come out of me that's hopeful and kind. And somebody said, let me go get my kids. And now I'm ready. I'm full of hope. We have a certificate for you parents. If you'll call Nora in the office, make sure you spell out your kids' names. Don't leave that up to me. And we want to give you a remembrance of this day, this dedication. And I want you to hang it in your house or put it in your Bible. And on that day when it seems like everything in the world is against you, then you just look at that certificate and say, no, we're dedicated and the Lord is defending us. And for us. I don't know. I think Eleanor looked at me real good. I might need a picture of her on my wall. Thank you, Lord, what you do through our children. And even you grown children out there, the Lord's not done with any of us, is he? If he was, you'd be up there with him. So if you have breath, there's something still to be done here. Well, I better get to these notes because I'm feeling, I'm feeling like preaching about eight things today. But I promised Eleanor we'd be out on time, so don't worry. Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, turn to them. If you would, I'm going to uh, do what I can to get it on the screen. We are reading about the birth of John the Baptist. Jesus' forerunner. Gabe, will you put that first verse on there? Because my... Technology is not working. If it reconnects, help me out. All right. So, Luke 1, verse 5. Is it behind me? Okay, then y'all are good. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside in the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, 
and you shall call his name John. And when you have, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. If we had a name of a message today, it would be getting prepared. Is it up there? Okay, so the problem is with that screen. I want to tell somebody today, you may not know what's in front of you, but the Lord and his strength is with you and behind you. You keep moving forward in what God is doing, and he is going to make the way. It says in these verses that Elizabeth was barren. I've been thinking a lot about winter. I believe as a pastor, I'm supposed to prepare you for a winter season. We need to get prepared. The more prepared you are, the more ready you are, the less the changes in times can affect us. I don't know about you, but there's been some preparation for this holiday season in my house. Anybody put up a little decor? Or as the French say, decor? Anybody been up in an attic? Anybody's wife been praying that you can get back down that ladder? All right. I just made that up. I imagine some fast decorations. Let's just get that tree up. Kids just ready. Who cares what day it is? Put the presents. Let's open them now. Just fast, 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 fast. Let's get it done. Oh, I love that kind of energy and enthusiasm. I don't respond to it because I'm not moving fast for anything. In fact, if you see me running, start running the same direction and ask me where and who we're running from. But then I pictured someone like my granny who's gone to be with the Lord at her home by herself. My grandfather had gotten those boxes out probably and she's taking all day to unload a six inch by six inch box. Because every day, every moment, she takes that one thing out and takes it from the box to the table. And my grandpa would have probably told her, why don't you put the box on the table so you don't have to walk? And she would have acted like she didn't hear him. And she would have been walking, thinking of every Christmas that that ornament got out. And every time the grandkids had come over, eating the cookies off the washing machine at her back door, and she would have set it on the tree. Then she would have taken a step back. Then she would have looked at it again and thought of something else. And another memory would have come. And a tear would have come about some sorrow. And a smile would have come about some joy. And she's on box number one of who knows how many boxes. There would have been some preparation, but it would have been slow, methodical. It would have been with memories. It would have been when no one was looking. There's all kinds of preparations. But to be prepared, certain things have to be prepared a certain way. Isn't that right? Anybody ever ask their mom to take those brownies out of the oven even though they weren't ready? Oh, mom, they smell ready. They're not ready. Take them out anyway. 
And then depending on the kind of mom you had, and if she wanted to teach you a life lesson, you might have ended up with running brown chocolate stuff all over your hands because they weren't ready. I wish they could make tamales faster. Is there a process on tamales? That's not an easy process, is it? Oh, you can put them in the microwave for a minute. That's fast. But somebody spent more than a minute rolling all of that stuff. Yes, and praise the Lord for them people that will roll those things. There is some preparation that has to happen. And there are some processes that take to be prepared. The Bible says that they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Not only was she barren, but now they're past the years, even if she wasn't, of having children. Barren, here's some definitions. Oh, they're happy ones. Unable to produce offspring. Mm. Unproductive, unfruitful. Empty of meaning or value. Bleak and lifeless. I don't know, there's not too much good wrapped up in the definition of barrenness, is there? Hard, bad, difficult, tough. These are synonyms. Bleak, bare, desolate, dismal, and dreary. Elizabeth, she was barren. She was unable to produce offspring. In certain ways, she was unproductive, unfruitful. In certain ways, she was empty of meaning and value. She was bleak and lifeless. She was hard and bad and difficult and tough. Bleak and bare and desolate and dismal and dreary. Winter is a season that embodies barrenness sometimes for us. A lot happens in the winter. And I'm going to go into a little things that happen because I want us to picture and understand barrenness, purposes and preparedness. In winter, there's sometimes migration. The animals teach us about winter. Some of them are smarter than us, and they go warmer places. Some animals don't leave. They just hibernate. I'm down for that one. Hibernation, you know what that is? That's one of the only things I remember from my elementary education. That's when animals store up food for the winter, and God's made them in such a way that they can have enough energy in their body that they can sleep for weeks or months and wake up alive for the spring. There's something in animals called resistance. It's when their fur or feathers change a color so that they can adapt and be camouflaged in an environment that's now white with snow when it wasn't. There are certain foxes and birds that do this. There's a storing up of food. Animals will instinctively know because of the way God's design is in them that they need to be preparing and putting a bunch of acorns in the middle of a tree or something. I'm just imagining a cartoon book I saw one time. And they're in there nice and cozy with a fire and Netflix and acorns when everything else is desolate on the outside. Winter occurs because the earth is tilted. And the side that's tilted away from the sun in that season feels, is further from the sun, and so the climate changes. It's interesting, the people on the other side of the earth are having summer when we're having winter, and vice versa. 
Someone may not be in the same season as you, even though they're on the same planet, around the same sun. There's longer nights and shorter days. You can get less done, except we've invented climate control and electricity and lights, and so we burn the candle at both ends, don't we? No, we don't. We break the candle, burn it on four ends. They say that winter's the best time to see the stars. I didn't go too deep in this. I just took their word for it. I don't know if it's because the air is clearer, because my eyes work better in the winter, but they say the stars seem brighter to us in the winter. Man, there's a word for you. The light is shining even brighter on you when you feel tilted away from the sun. There are fewer bugs in the winter. I'm underlining that, highlighting that, and praying that over my whole yard. It controls the bug population. Because of that, there's less mosquitoes and everything else. If we don't get a hard freeze, that might mean they're double the mosquitoes as next year and double the disease and double the irritation. There's less vegetation in the winter. Leaves change color. That's pretty. Then it falls off. Then that's either work or not as pretty. The tree looks bare. The leaves are on the ground. Then somewhere in there, God said, I'm going to put a couple of evergreens just to let people know you can still be doing good in the winter. Leaves fall on the ground for a reason. They, they keep the temperature down. They cover like a blanket plants and seeds that are under there until I rake them up and burn them. But there was a meaning. Plants go dormant under the ground, the roots, not doing as much saving energy so that they can produce from stored up energy in the spring. Even frost on a plant helps create a force in that plant that they will need to produce more in the spring. A fruit tree, if there aren't enough cold days at a certain temperature, will produce less and weaker blossoms in the spring. Man, this guy knows a lot about winter. No, I Googled it on, with that guy on the video. <laughs> Leaves cover the ground like a blanket. You look up at your beautiful tree and it just looks bare. And you look at all the land, you're like, no, yeah, that looks bad without those leaves. Let's cover that up. We are going into a winter season as a people. I don't know if it's the whole earth, but I am supposed to help me and you get prepared for spiritual winter. And that is a good thing. Because seasons come and they produce or they have an effect that's on purpose. There is no spring without the winter. The plant doesn't grow without ever whatever the winter does to it. Some plants don't grow except in the winter. There is a reason, the Bible says, a time and a season for everything. We can trust God in the winter, but you need to act different in the winter. I talked to a high-ranking officer in the army told me if he puts the right clothes on in the right way, it can be wind chill, negative 40 in Afghanistan, and he can feel warm. I want to know how to do that because it can be not negative 40, but 40 at my house, and I can be cold. There is a process that will even protect us in the winter. There's a preparation that the winter brings. We are going to be in a season of winter spiritually because God is doing something under the ground, something in us, something's coming, something's being produced. It cannot happen unless we pass through this season and the next season and the next season. So question number one is, well, preacher, 
How long is it going to be? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I don't even know. And most of us might go through a winter and you might be on the other tilt of the earth and be having spring in your life. And I'm just going to bless you in the name of the Lord. But as a body, we need to be prepared for winter. And so let's look at Elizabeth's life for a minute and see if we can get prepared. It may look ugly on the outside. The tree's barren. The plants have died. Oh, but something's happening unseen to most underground. Elizabeth and her husband, barren and considered disgraced, she felt cursed and ashamed. In verse 25 that I didn't read, she has a baby and says, the Lord has taken away my shame. There are some things that happen in the winter of your life that won't happen or last forever. You must go through them, but they will soon be taken away and replaced with the next step or the next plan God has for you. It's winter somewhere. It's summer somewhere else. Somebody may call you and go, why are you so cold? I'm at the beach. It may be raining in your life and sunny in someone else's life. They may not understand what you're going through and can't empathize and can't relate. I imagine Elizabeth every day had those stares. Her friends that would smile but then wonder, what did she do that God stricken her with barrenness? Or the ones that would sit with her and cry without words, but they just went with her. But they couldn't understand what she was going through because they had kids. There's something about winter that's lonely. It's solitude. It brings us in instead of out, and that's necessary in our life. I want you to embrace the seasons God is leading you through. I want to encourage you not to create your own season, but to walk with the Lord through the season. How do we get through the winter? Well, we can see in this story, verse 10, it said, While Zechariah was inside burning the incense, there were people on the outside praying. Prayer is going to help us through whatever season. Zechariah was the high priest. He went into the place of prayer. He went in to do the things that ministered to the Lord. He had no idea on that day the angel sent from the Lord was going to meet him. But because he was still following God's plan and design for his life, he wasn't missing anything that God had for him, even though it looked like he had missed it all. But he kept walking with the Lord. But I'm interested for a minute at looking at these people on the outside. They're outside praying. They know that in the Holy of Holies, incense is being burned to the Lord. They know that their part is to pray, to enter into what is happening. There are some people in your life that they're not in your mess, but they're outside praying for your mess. They're not in your same joy, but they're thankful for your joy. They're not in your sorrow, but they're on their knees praying that you will get through your sorrow. They're not in your situation, but from the outside, they are supporting you with prayer. And thank God for those people. You got any of those people in your life? I'll tell you how to find them in a minute. There are people outside the situation, but they're in the situation with you because they're praying. They can't walk in your shoes because those are your shoes, but they can join the Father and Jesus the Son who sits at the right hand of God. They're praying because Jesus taught them to pray. They're praying because Jesus prays. Jesus intercedes for you 
even in the winter of your life. You feel alone, you're not that alone. The King of kings and Lord of lords is talking to his father about you. Their thoughts about you are more numerous than the sands. They know the plans they have for you. And I would ask you, who could stop what the Lord will do? You're on the inside, like Zechariah. You might be inside the blessing, and they're just praying, rejoicing with you. Or you might be inside the trouble of being barren, a father with no sons or daughters. You might be in the heartache. You might be in the barrenness. You might be in the hibernation. You might be in the migration. You might be in the falling. Everything's crumbling in your life. The beautiful things have turned colors and rotted and fallen to the ground. The hopelessness, the, the feeling, the, the pain, the hurt, the inability to do anything about it. Zechariah, a strong man, he had his house in order, he had his worship in order, but there was nothing he could do about the barrenness that he and his wife were experiencing. You're in the secret place. You're in the ministry of the Lord and his people. You might be in the storm. You might be in the breakthrough. You're in it, but there are people, and they're your people, and they're on the outside, and they're praying. Someone's praying. And if you want to argue with me and say no one's praying, I will just point to the high priest by the Father who says he intercedes day and night for you. They're God's people. They're on the outside. They're not what in what you're in. They're not in your shoes. They're not in your joy or your pain, but they're in it with you. They're praying. We need to be those people. Can we be those people? Can we be the people that while someone's in the middle of what they're in, we're outside praying? Not posting, not talking, not discussing, praying. Talking to the only one who can do anything about it. I just feel like we ought to ask the Lord, make us a people of prayer. Lord, make us a people of prayer. Let us be in the multitude that's outside praying. Oh, the news will tell us everybody that's outside throwing rocks, everybody that's outside trying to get us, everybody that's outside doing all the wrong things. But is there anybody on the outside praying? There was a multitude praying. God made sure of it because he's about to send John the Baptist who's about to precede the birth of his own son. You remember Elijah? He said, Lord, I'm the only one. The Lord goes, you're not the only one. I've always got my people. There's people praying. I want to be those people. When they go, there's some people outside praying, I want to go, oh, and there's Matt. Well, meanwhile, it's a meanwhile. The while can be mean. Oh, it's a while. It's a mean while. Because meanwhile, there were people outside waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering. Wondering why. Wondering why. What's taking Zechariah so long? My tamales are warming up in the microwave. Why'd they pick Zechariah? Why Zechariah get to do it? Isn't Zechariah cursed by God because he doesn't have any kids? Why Zechariah? Isn't he old? Why Zechariah? Why did? Why are they burning incense? Why is it that incense? Why isn't it the incense I like? Why isn't it Yankee Candle incense? Why'd they play that song? Why'd they not play that song? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why is he doing that? Why didn't he do this? Why this and why that and why is that color? You know, there was a house in Lockhart got built. This lady designed it. 
And she asked the people laying the bricks to leave extra mortar so that when they squished the bricks, it came out like icing when I squished my cupcake. Just And you drove by that house because it started going around town. (gasps) They built a lovely house, but they did something with the bricks. And you drive by that house to critique someone who designed their house the way they wanted it. Oh, but you needed to drive by. Oh, it's a lovely house. I'm so glad. What in the world with this brick? There were people outside praying, but if the while gets mean, the prayer has the ability to turn into one dream. Why? Praying or wondering why? Praying as opposed to critiquing, questioning, complaining, gossiping, or worse, barging in to fix it. If Zechariah doesn't get out of there, I'm going to go in there and burn the incense myself so we can get home. And he takes off, and the one brother goes, hey, dude, you know if you walk into the Holy of Holies and you're not right, you end up dead. You know Zechariah, when he went in there, had a rope tied around his leg because if the high priest or the priest that went in there wasn't who he needed to be at that time, and I'm just going to say covered in the grace of God, then he would drop dead, and they wouldn't go in and get him. They'd drag him out. Some of us are in danger of getting dragged him out because we were trying to barge in I'm sorry, some people out there are in danger of having everything fall down on your head because you want to rush the process. Can you imagine somebody going in there, Zechariah, hurry up with the incense, and God going, hey, 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 I like this incense. I want to smell this incense. And by the way, I was talking to Zechariah. Oh, you don't know what's going on on the inside. I don't know what's going on in the inside. God's doing something on the inside. You don't know what that 40-year-old lady happened to her when she was 10 or 12 or 15. You don't know what that man just walked through this week when he got this news and that news and that news. We don't know what Zachariah is doing in there. We know he's burning incense, but we know it's taking a long time. And if we're in the place of prayer, that's a great place. But if we're in the meanwhile, wondering why, then it turns into everything but prayer. So we have a choice. All generations. We can be on the outside praying. Man, I don't know what's going on in that brother's life. But instead of talking about it, wondering about it, being mean in the wild about it, I'm at my house on my knees praying. And you know what? Now I'm on the inside and you don't know what I'm doing. Why isn't the deacon doing that? Why isn't that brother doing that? Why is that guy over there doing that? You don't know what's going on in someone's life. The angel of the Lord might be talking to them. If you want to be on the right side, let's be on the side of prayer. Is it sounding nice or fussy? I feel like it's kind of fussy. I want to encourage us. There were people praying, and God was sending John the Baptist, the greatest man born of a woman, and telling his dad he was about to be a dad. And it was going to be a lot for him to handle, so much that he needed to be quiet for nine months. It was going to be a lot for Zechariah and for Elizabeth to have their whole world turned upside down. You know what they needed? People on the outside praying. All right? I'm signing up. You may not see me. You may not know what I'm doing. But I'm asking the Lord to help me be on the outside praying for you. And you know what you find out when you're on the outside praying? Because we all do it. Every now and then you're praying and you look up. 
And if your grandma's sitting by you, she does that to your head. Close your eyes, boy. But every now and then while you're in the place of prayer, you look up and you know what you see? If you're praying in the place of prayer, if you're praying in the place of prayer and you look up, you know what you see? The other people who are praying in the place of prayer. You want to find out who the prayer warriors are? Be a prayer warrior. And then you'll just all of a sudden find yourself in the midst of them. But let me tell you this. If you look up and find yourself in the place of the gossipers and the murmurers and the complainers and the critiquers, then you just might be is one of them. Oh, I just asked the Lord to help me make this encouraging today. Well, let's make it encouraging. With the people in the place of prayer and Zechariah in all the barrenness of his life still serving God, you know what's happening on the inside? A miracle. John the Baptist is coming. An old man and an old lady who can't have kids are about to have the kid who's going to introduce Jesus to the world. So let's be encouraged. Our prayers are not in vain. The time on our knees is not in vain. It's not happening as fast as we want it to happen, but it's happening. Why didn't God just hurry up? Why didn't John the Baptist just come out of the clouds? Why do you have to be born? Why does it take nine months to be born? Why did it take 400 years from the last prophet for this prophecy to come true? Why this and why that? That's the meanwhile. That's a bunch of wondering why. What if we took that wonder and said, Lord, I don't know, but I trust you. Lord, I don't know, but I'll pray. Lord, I don't know, but I'll keep believing. Lord, I don't know, but I'll keep going. I'm going to keep moving forward. You've been faithful behind me, so you're going to be faithful in front of me. You said you were going to redeem the world. A Messiah would come, so I haven't seen him, but I bet he's coming because you said he's coming. Lord, you said you're going to take care of me. I don't feel taken care of right now, but wait, wait, I do. I've seen your care. I don't necessarily feel it now, but I'm going to keep going into the place. I'm going to keep burning incense in your presence. I'm going to keep worshiping. You'll find me here on Sundays. You'll find me here on Wednesdays. More than that, you'll find me in my prayer closet, praying when I'm driving my car, praying when I'm getting out of my car, talking to you when I'm in my work, talking about you when I'm at my work. You're going to find me, Lord, burning incense to you, and I'm thanking you, God, for the people on the outside praying for me while I'm in it. Is anybody in it? Is anybody in it? We bury my wife's aunt, and her nieces sit there because they're going to bury her mom in a month. I mean, the one aunt died, then the next aunt died. I'm like, Lord, let's just give me a minute. You had the one thing happen, you turned around, the next thing happened, you turned around, the next thing happened, you said, I'm not turning around again, because I don't know what's going to happen over here. It seems like every leaf is falling. Everything's turning brown sometimes. It seems like everything's crashing down. Everything's under the ground. Do you know what happens if you keep praying? You know what happens if you keep ministering to the Lord? What's ministry to the Lord? He likes you. Be with them. That's ministry to the Lord. Just be with them. You know what happens? I heard today a friend of mine who's on the heart transplant list because his heart was failing. They took him off the list. My first thought, yeah, you can clap because you're good people. My first thought was, oh, they said he can't have one. You know why they took him off the list? His heart's better. You know why his heart's better? He has a mom that never stops praying and he has a God who says, I know what I'm doing in your life. It's a process. And that barrenness, when you didn't know if your heart worked, that emptiness you felt, it brought you to me. It was a gift. Something happened in the winter of your life that couldn't happen in the spring of your life. 
You got more dependent on me. You were on your knees more. You were like, Lord, my family, my children. I know my friend was praying. I know his mom was praying. I know their family was praying. And today I heard the news. Hey, he's not on the heart transplant list because his heart is healed. Somebody says, well, how come you didn't hear anything good about me today? I don't know the process, how long your tamales take. But God knows the process. He knows the process. I don't have time to be asking God, how come Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Why not Seguin? I mean, is there any place more blessed in Texas? Why over there in the, what do they call it over there, the Middle East? What's wrong with the Republic? I don't have time to be asking God about that. Lord, your son was born. He came into the earth to save it. What's that mean for me? What, how do I get him in my life? How do I get closer to him? There are better questions than asked in the meanwhile than being mean, wondering why. There's trust in the Lord. Why did God even have to send his son? Because we're barren. We're unable to do anything on our own. We fix a lot of things, easy fixes. Didn't feel easy. Cost us a lot. The Lord helped us. Good boy. Good girl. That's my girl. Get it. But there's some stuff we can't fix God has to show up in the holy place. The angel has to announce, God said he's going to do it. A savior has to come. We cannot save ourselves. We are barren. We are lost without the Lord. There's no good in us except the good God puts in us by his son. On one side of the coin, we're made in the image of God. On the other side of the coin, we're all like sheep and we've gone astray. Our mouths vomit evil and death. On the other side of the coin, we're a little less than the angels, fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. And you and me, we're fighting both sides of the coin, but a Savior has come. The barrenness that we could do nothing about, God says, I am put my anointed, and he will proclaim the day of the Lord, and he will bind up the brokenhearted and release the captive and the lame will walk and the blind will see and the dead will rise. If you're in it right now, if it's barren, if it's lonely, if it's cold, if it's all falling to the ground, then bow your head to the God who's the creator of all things. And I picture myself with my head bowed looking at that ground that feels muddy and cold and nasty and just barren. And I go, you know what? God's doing something under there. Something's happening in the winter of my life, in the winter of our life. Something's being produced that only God could do in the winter. I don't want to add winter. I don't want to make it one day longer than it has to be. But Lord, if it takes this many days, then take the days. If it takes this long, then take this long. If I have to pray this long for my friend's heart to get better, then I'm going to pray that long. If it takes that long, Lord, then take it. Oh, but we want to climate control it. We want to change. I don't like this temperature. Let's fix it. In Mexico, in the winter, they light a fire outside. They get it burning real good. They get some carbon, some coals. They get a shovel. They bring it into the middle of the dining room, put it on a piece of tin, and let those coals warm up the house. 
Sometimes it gets so warm in there, they open the doors in the middle of winter because it's hot in the house. My friend, go get you some coals. Go to the place of prayer. Worship the Lord. Be in his presence. Trust him even if your life is barren. He's doing something. Bring those coals into where you are and let the Lord warm you up. It's going to be winter. It's not here yet. Oh, man, and just a few weeks leading up to it, it's killing me already. But Jesus said, if I'll take up my cross and die to myself and lose my life for his sake, I'll find it. Said the same thing for you. If I will give my life to the God of every season and let him determine my steps, he's going to produce something out of it. Today, there's a mother celebrating my son's off-the-heart transplant list. But how long was the winter to get there? Doesn't matter. She got to the day when the spring came. Lord, but how long the pain and how long the suffering? How long? Well, I got an encouraging verse for you. Paul prayed for the church that you would learn the patience of Christ. Man, can we just start with the patience of my dad? (laughs) The patience of Christ who while being beaten, stretched out his arms and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I believe the Lord is interested in seeing my death to myself and being raised in newness of life. And I got no other hope. I can't fix the barrenness in my life or even your life. I can't help you. I can't do what needs to be done. But there's a winter season. And it gets rid of all the extra. And it goes into the deep, dark places. And something springs up from the ground. Can you not see it? I'm doing a new thing, the Lord said. New beginnings. Resurrected dreams. A desert, he said, I'll make a river flowing in it. Where there was barrenness, I will bring life. And if you don't believe it, Elizabeth would say to you with her sweet, Motherly voice, my boy's name's John. I got a boy named John. And the Lord has taken away my barrenness, and he has filled me with life. I'm going to invite the team up. I'm going to dismiss us in prayer. They're going to play a couple of songs. I'm going to dismiss you from church. Some of us need to go to our home, take the fire with us on the inside, And spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, you can have my winter. Make everything out of it that you can. I'll embrace the north wind. I'll embrace the pain. I'll embrace the trouble. If I can trust that you're working, I'm in it with you. But some of you want to stay today for a few minutes and you want to come and get prayer. And so we'll play a song for you. Winter's coming. But our God is a consuming fire. And the love of the Father gets poured into our heart by the Holy Spirit. And if you could raise your hand today and go, this may be the worst winter I've ever been in, I want to tell you, it's going to produce the greatest fruit you've ever seen. Father, thank you for Zechariah. He continued to be a follower of God, even in his barrenness. I want to be like him. Lord, thank you for Elizabeth. In disgrace and shame, she continued to keep her head facing the temple. 
She was a priestess in the line of Aaron. She didn't leave you even though her life hadn't worked out how she wanted it. She stayed with you faithful. The Bible says who can find a faithful person? Well, you found Elizabeth. Find us. Lord, we would have lost hope except you're the God of hope. We would have froze to death except you're the God of every season. I ask you to take these moments of pain in our life and heartache and sorrow and work them under the ground to produce what only you can produce, life and life everlasting. I speak life today. Spring will be here when the Lord says, the new thing is coming. The breakthrough is coming. New life is coming. A river in the desert, a smile for that frown, joy for your sorrow, dancing for mourning, beauty for ashes. It's coming. The Lord has established it. He has done it through his son, paid for it all. Oh, but there's a process. We won't get there without walking through what's in front of us. So Lord, we submit to it today. We submit to you today. We'll walk through every season of our life. We want to be the prayers, not the wandering wires. We want to be in the temple, not in the meanwhile. Would you make us those people, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. The Lord's enough for your winter. You keep walking. You're dismissed, and if you need prayer, you can come forward. God bless you. Oh, help us, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information about All Generations Church, go to aglockhart.org.